vacation, got on the plane, went to St. Louis. I've been working with uh, the financial committee of our organization. And uh, tonight, if I appear to be a little bit insincere and lighthearted, it's only because I need this break. (laughs) You go down there and and work with... (laughs) Millions of dollars, and I'm talking about looking closely at the finances. You, uh, uh, you just kind of want to jump up and run, jump out the window and scream real loud. I was wanting to get home so bad, I hadn't seen anybody in a long time. And I got into Minneapolis, was sitting on the plane, and Shannon walked on the plane. <clears throat> Almost died of a heart attack. I couldn't believe it was her. I'm sorry. I was not telling something I wasn't supposed to tell. Okay, you forget about her being on the plane. She was coming back from Kansas City, and I was coming back from St. Louis. But just forget about it. You know, really. That was probably just her ghost. (laughs) Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 3. I'm really, I'm sorry about that, Shannon. I looked at you. I looked at you and you just seemed to have that, that eagerness for me to tell that, see? So really it's your fault. You just, it's not my fault at all. Well, we're, we're going to have fun tonight. <clears throat> Praise God. People have more fun than anybody. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians three eleven. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Now this is a principle of life. It's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now whenever I say work, you could insert the word life. Every man's life will be revealed by fire. Now, you know what, if something is revealed, uh, you know what that is. Like, I reveal that Shannon was on the plane. <clears throat> See? <laughs> Just, I had to tell it. I had to tell it again. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> All right. The fire shall try every man's life of what sort it is. If any man's life abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. All right? And if any man's life shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And when we're talking about life, we're not talking about pulsation. We're talking about the way he conducts his affairs as he walks through this planet Earth. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, if any man defile the temple of God... Him shall God destroy, for the 
temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And you may be seated. And we're going to speak to you tonight in this Bible study. We're going to speak on the subject, Saved by Fire. And when we think of fire, what do you normally think of? Something that's burning. Something that's hot. But on the other, ti- on the other hand, figuratively speaking, uh, when we think of fire, uh, some people think of the Holy Ghost and fire, which is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. But on the other hand, we have the other uh, connotation, and that is when we think of fire, we think of trials. And I think that this is what it's talking about because it says that the fire shall try every man's life or work. Now, we know that we're all built upon Jesus Christ, or we should be. Maybe your life is not built upon Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ should be the undergirding foundation for every person's existence. And the Bible tells us that you can't lay any other foundation. Now that simply means then that if you're not building upon Jesus Christ, you're building upon what? Nothing. Now Jesus gives a parable in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about building upon the rock and building upon the sand. And the sand is shifting all the time and moving. So basically what he's saying is that that uh, if you build upon things that may be there or may not be there, you're taking one big chance. And the only sure thing in the world is Jesus Christ. It's the only sure thing. Just in the last few days, there's been a lot of talk about uh, morality and immorality. I heard on the radio today, when I was coming to church, a statement that they made about uh, our former vice president, Dan Quayle, and they stated that that he had made so many statements about the Ten Commandments and about morality and this type thing, and talk, he was talking about crime and said we need to get to the source of crime and so forth and so on, and then... Uh, they also stated that Donna Shalala had recently made a statement uh, concerning the immorals of America. And she openly stated we've had about two decades now, the 70s, mid-70s to the mid-90s, of everything goes. And she said uh, we can't put enough dollars in the system to patch it up. Because it's going to take more than money to patch up the problem with uh, America. And to my amazement, because I am quoting to you the quote from somebody else, uh, but to my amazement, uh, she even made statements about Murphy Brown. And this is the TV uh actress or character that was portrayed that Dan Quayle had made reference to and he was kind of laughed to scorn about it. 
But uh, I think people are waking up to realize that the old-fashioned standards of morality that really came out of the Scripture, they are proper. Not only are they proper, but if you substitute anything else, it just simply doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. Now I know that when Paul's talking about building up the, upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, he's taking it a step further. He's talking about strict adherence to the plan of salvation. And, and I definitely agree on that. But I also agree that, that people can build their lives upon a certain level of, of correctness or rightness that comes from the Scripture. You know, separate and apart from Jesus, you can teach your children not to lie, not to steal, not to be greedy, this type thing. Now, that can only go so far. <clears throat> and that won't save you. But nevertheless, it, it certainly does lend better to a correct society. We know that. If, in other words, if, if two men get involved in a street fight in which they have been taught a, uh, as children uh, particular morals, there is, a, there is a degree or there is a limit, maybe I should say, to what they will go to. You, you might catch a man who's fighting with someone, toss him a gun, he may throw it away. Because there's something in his heart that would stop him short of taking someone's life. But where all morals have been taken away, and all values have been shoved uh, in the closet, so to speak, and there's not that level of goodness in a person's life, what happens then? When he is tried, or when the fire comes... There's no limit to what he will do. Now, I want to make this lesson applicable to every individual who is here. But uh, for the most part, he's basically talking about the plan of salvation. But separate and apart from the plan of salvation, what you build upon Jesus Christ, that's how we get Jesus Christ. There is a precise plan in the Scripture in, in which you... Receive the Lord into your life. It's called the new birth. It's called the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Which is more than just a beautiful Easter story. But it is something you can experience yourself. You can repent of your sins. You can be buried or baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right? This was called the new birth in the Scripture. Jesus died so we can repent. And repentance is basically just turning away from your sin. Jesus died so that we can take the old man that's been crucified with him, that we have killed or mortified, we can take and bury that old man. And just as Jesus raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we can also rise to newness of life with him. So the gospel is more than just a beautiful Easter story. It's an experience. And that's how Jesus Christ 
comes into our life by following this plan. Now, Jesus becomes the foundation of our life. But on the other hand, what we do with what we receive is equivalent to building upon that foundation. And for this reason, you can be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet uh, you can build a life that is really not pleasing to the Lord. This is the reason why that discipleship is so important. Christian growth is so important. And there's a vast difference between growing up in Jesus and growing old in Jesus. This is the reason why we have a stewardship class. We have a, a Christian development class and we teach a curriculum called Christian Stewardship. And its primary purpose is to structure things for people so that they can become complementary to the work of the Lord or, in essence, they can become what Jesus Christ was or what He is because He's still existing today. And I encourage everyone who can go to the stewardship classes to go. Now some of you are saying, well, I'd rather, I'd rather stay out here and hear Brother Grant. Well, you can go in there and hear Brother Grant. <clears throat> and if you would like to have heard me 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you have that opportunity. <laughs> because we show it on video <laughs> and, and, and I have changed a little bit. All right. <clears throat> so we build our life upon Jesus. This is the reason why that I stress so much to people that the Bible is really the manual of life. Because, you know, you can pick up on certain things, I guess because of personalities, maybe because of environment, cultural backgrounds, or etc., that it's easy for an individual to take the things that naturally... Uh, uh, seem appealing to him, and 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 follow that line of logic, and, and 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 get so far off base from the true attitude and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, an example. Uh, uh, let, let's say if, if if someone wants to be a, a tough guy, let's say a, a man wants to be a tough guy, and he he is attracted to. Uh, sarcasms and and uh, uh, people who uh, rule with an iron fist and such. He's when he reads a scripture, he's gonna he's gonna look for scriptures. He will subconsciously do this that will fit his own liking, and so as a result, then uh, he will quote those scriptures over and over and over. Those scriptures should be taken into consideration. However, as Jesus told the Pharisees not to leave the others undone. That there is a time to be firm, yet there's a time to be gentle and kind. And un unless we're building correctly, when the fire comes, when the trial time comes, guess what's going to happen? Can anybody guess? Everything that you have built stands the chance of being destroyed. 
It really does. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I'll just give you an example of this. I think I, I've talked about this before, but uh, I, I remember a man, a very fine man. I'll just uh, uh, use this uh, as, as an example. He was a pastor, a man that I knew. I knew him years ago. But, but this, this man, uh, he just he, he had a different way. And he, he had this little something in him that uh, as far as as our ministers were concerned, you know, he always had a different idea. He was very independent in his thinking. And uh, so he he had to do it a certain way. And, and I, I was wondering, you know, because it was getting up in years, if he ever gave up the church... Uh, you know, what, what would happen? Because he had so trained these people to think like himself that I wonder if they, they got another pastor, if, if, if that man would, whoever uh, followed him, would be able to keep it together. Well, his retirement time came. He gave up the church. He had a good, strong church from the standpoint of attendance and, and support and such. And a lovely community. But the problem was that when they elected another man and he came, uh, they just they just could, they couldn't make it. They simply could not. And they went through three or four pastors in a row. The pastors would become discouraged and leave. After a while, they just decided that they didn't need a pastor, that they would continue on with the basic philosophy of their founding pastor and, and their only pastor. But well, needless to say, that didn't work either. So after a while, they were fighting among themselves, and just in a very short period of time, there was no longer congregation or church there. Now, basically, what we're saying is that this man had worked all of his life. Now, please understand, there is such a thing as a man building the right kind of, uh, of uh, philosophy into the people, and still that happening. But on the other hand, I am saying that that there are certain times when things are stacked a certain way that you just you know it's going to be that way because it's it's really in in defiance of of scripture. You see, no pastor should ever try to build the church around himself should build it around Jesus Christ. And uh, you need to understand that every preacher in this building is as much human as you are and susceptible to mistakes just like you are. And I think any pastor who would stand behind the pulpit or stand any place and lead people to believe that he's the smartest person on this planet Earth is in for a real fall because it doesn't take some people long enough to figure out that he might not be the smartest. I'd be the first to say, we've got people right here that I pastor. I am speaking to people here today that as far as your IQ is concerned, as far as your education is concerned, you are much smarter than I am. Because the leader among you is not determined by who's the smartest. Because we'd be changing leaders every day, wouldn't we? 
no more than it would be determined in a household is who's going to be the head of the household. Because in many cases, the wife is smarter than the man. Now, that's not true in our case, but nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) Sister Grant, I just had to say that. (laughs) Nobody in all the world could live with me (laughs) other than Sister Grant. (laughs) And can you say amen to that? (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) but uh, this is the reason why that that you will notice that churches that are independent I'm talking about not affiliated with any group any place just totally independent that independent churches for the most part are one generation churches they come and they go and the reason why they come in the go is because independent churches usually are built upon a pastor who has a particular personality and a particular quirk about certain things, and that's the reason why he's independent, because he can't find anybody else that believes exactly like him. And when he's gone, nobody else can step in his place. And so when the trials come, and they're going to come, and they test that congregation to find out what, what kind of metal, what kind of material, what kind of uh, substance they're built out of. And when the trials come, then if they have built a life that can be burned, then their, their works, their life will be burned. It will be. Now, the Bible says, now the man's going to be saved. Of course, if he's saved, he, verse 15, yet so as by fire, that there will also come a real testing of the man's personal experience with Jesus Christ. So everything he's worked for all of his life may be destroyed. And he may be destroyed. However, there is such a possibility as everything he has worked for being destroyed, and yet he himself being saved. Now, this church had its 50th anniversary services back in March. Actually, we were 50 years old back in January, and we have survived 50 years. But uh, it's not what we did in the past, it's where to from here. That, that is extremely important because we continue to grow and we continue to build. And trials of all kinds come. And they test not churches as a whole, but they test individuals. And so as a result, the, the church, the, the church is, is, is made up of many, many members, and we are tested individually. But I would like to go into uh, situations that we find in the Scripture that I think served as real trials to uh, churches. Uh, To do this, we go to Revelation 2 and 3. This would be a logical place because there are seven letters that are written to seven churches of Asia. And we find out exactly uh, what their strong points were and their weak points. 
We, we see that. And we know that all these churches were apostolic churches. I mean, they were apostolic churches. In other words, they had been baptized in Jesus' name. They had been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But separate and apart from that, they had their own they, their own personalities. They, they worshiped God. They, they served God. They had their strong points. They had their weak points. And, and we want to talk about that because I, I think that we will find an area in all of these that will touch some of you, and you'll be able to understand then uh, why it's so important for you to be founded upon the Word of God and that you build your life after the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you become a true disciple of the Lord. See, I've seen too many people come in and get real good experiences and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, maybe an alcoholic and he would be free of uh, alcohol for, for years and then all of a sudden he's, he's put to that test. And because that even though he uh, was delivered and because he appreciated his deliverance and such, after a while he began to take things for granted thought he was a lot stronger than what he was, and he yielded to the temptation. Only to find that, that when he yielded to this, in other words, when the heat was placed on him and he failed the test, that the same thing that gripped him years ago and kept him away from God, the, as long as he stayed away from God, it captured him again, and he didn't possess the willpower to come and, and do things right and overcome that. I've, I've seen other people who were buried deep into poverty. They come to the Lord, and the Lord just blesses them with uh, abundance, and they, and they couldn't handle that. Now, you wouldn't think that, that abundance would be a, a trial by fire, because usually when we think of a trial by fire, it's something that really hurts, something that, I mean, is really burning, something that's excruciating. But, but there are all kinds of trials and if the job is accomplished that, that uh, Satan would want, well then it doesn't make any difference what he bestows upon you. If he gets his will, if his way has been done, well then naturally he's happy about it. Let's look at the first church, the church at Ephesus. This is the, the church that existed at the end of the apostolic age. Now, I'll not be able to read all the things about the church, but we'll start at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Basically, we can say this that these people pass the doctrinal test. They stayed true to the doctrine. Anybody that came around and preached a doctrine contrary to the doctrine that they were founded upon, they just simply would not tolerate it. And there's a lot of that going on today. I'm talking about, there's a lot of different doctrines in our world today. And if you listen long enough, they all seem to make a little sense. Why? Because they all are flavored with a, a few scriptures. It, it really is amazing. I was reading today an article. I get all kinds of, of pamphlets and periodicals and such sent to me. I was reading a booklet today, <clears throat> and uh, 
the individual was talking about outward appearance. And when he, he talked about outward appearance, he said, Now Jesus said, take no thought for raiment. So he said, it doesn't make any difference what you wear, and you shouldn't think about what you're wearing as to whether it's correct or not. Well, well, I mean, mine, you don't have to have a brain bigger than a pinto bean to figure out. If you read that, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, don't sit around and worry about if, 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 if you will have sufficient clothing for tomorrow. That God's going to make sure that you're clothed. See? But, but he went into this long, long spill, and that's what he used. He said, well, it doesn't make any difference because Jesus said, take no thought. See? So... <clears throat> You can see there's all there are all kinds of doctrines, and, and after a while, uh, you know, it just uh, people don't believe. If you stray in one point of the of the truth, after a while, you you know, just almost anything goes, and and you do not adhere to the to the original doctrine. Paul says, if if I or an angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel than this which I have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Because, see, some people are evil, and you know they're evil angels too. First place, angels are prohibited from preaching the truth. So if any angel comes around and tells you anything, you need to make sure that you just discount it and look in the Bible. You hear me? Because an angel spoke to Cornelius and told Cornelius to send uh, for Peter. And Peter was at Joppa, and he'll come down and tell you words whereby you should be saved. There are good angels and there are bad angels. There are good people and there are bad people. And when I say good people, they're, they're incorrect in their doctrine when I say bad. I'm not saying that they're morally corrupt, but there's some people that just have not come to a real knowledge. These people, they they passed the doctrinal test and they made sure that everyone who came to visit them passed the doctrinal test also. Now you've got to you've got to commend them on that. However, there was something that happened to them. Verse four, nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. In other words, they they left their first love. So we would put it like this. When it came to the personal relationship test that they had with God, they allowed certain things to come between them and the Lord. In other words, it is possible to hate sin and love the doctrines of the Scripture as far as the, uh, the, the doctrines of salvation and yet not love Jesus the way you need to love Jesus. Sometimes you can get in love with your own ideas. And, and you know, it, it's like a, 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 a young man. He sees a young lady and, and he says, oh, it's love at first sight. You've heard that. Now, how can you really love someone at first sight when you don't even know that person? And, and you'd be surprised when you become acquainted with them. Sometimes they're not like they appear to be. And so what the deal is, you're in love with your own concepts, your own ideas. 
Now, it just might be that that person fits that ideal person that you have set up in your own mind. But nevertheless, you really didn't love the person if you didn't know the person. But once you became acquainted with the person, you found out what the person was really like, how the person reacted under certain situations and such, and you, you, you went over the moral values of the person and such, and, 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 and you struck that common ground and you saw compatibility, that's when real love for the person comes. Now what happens with some people, they, they just, oh my, Jesus name baptism and filling the Holy Ghost, it's in the Scripture. I always like to find it in the book. So, I'm going to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. So they're baptized in Jesus' name. <coughs> After many, many prayer meetings, finally, they finally pray through the Holy Ghost. They take a love on for what I would consider truth. They know that with truth they can win arguments. They do win many arguments. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians say that some people preach Christ for contention's sake. In other words, they know that they can win an argument with the Bible. He said, but we should preach Christ for love's sake. See? And these people should be doing what they were doing because they love God, not because they love to win arguments. So in their personal relationship with God, <clears throat> no doubt they failed the test simply because that they were not praying and seeking the Lord. Now, I assume my uh, understanding of the Scripture, I assume my understanding is correct, because if you remember in the Scripture, the first thing the Lord told them to do, I want you to repent from which you have fallen, the state that you were in. Repent. And repentance, uh, as far as I can see, is one of the initial steps in your in, in your communication with God. You may start out by praising the Lord, but there's one thing that you want to incorporate in all of your personal prayers with God. I'm not talking about when you're praying over an offering or praying over a meal. But I'm talking about in your closet of prayer, you want to make sure that you search your soul. And if you have done anything against the Lord Jesus Christ, that you ask Him to forgive you. And second that, if you've done anything against a brother or sister, that you ask God to forgive you. If a brother or sister has done anything against you, you forgive them. And I want to tell you something. There's some trials that come, and they really do try you by fire. And, and we're off to a good start in this because I can assure you of this one thing. There are a whole lot of people that are clinging on to a relationship with God and really all they have to hold on to is that initial experience. They were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. They don't pray the way they need to pray. They don't seek God the way they need to seek God. And you see, when the, when the testing time came, when the fire came, Now, I don't think the Scripture is clear as to, as to what caused them to stop praying. Sometimes it's, it's not really a matter of, of you know, it, there are just multiple reasons why people stop praying, why people 
maybe too busy. People are too busy. Uh, maybe I should say this. They don't, they don't, uh, they just don't work out their, their schedules right. So prayer is not a priority. Way down on the list. Of course, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the church. Him that overcometh. In other words, if you will overcome this problem, this test, you'll be saved. That's what the Scriptures say. Then let's go to, to Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna was a persecuted church. Now here we're getting into some, some real uh, fire-type trials. My mind goes to the three Hebrew children in the book of Daniel that went into the fiery furnace. They were persecuted. Now there are two things about this church <clears throat> that I want to call your attention to in verse verse uh, 8, the Bible says, <clears throat> which was dead and is alive, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. All right. <clears throat> there are two things that I want to talk about. One's tribulation, one's poverty. Now first I want to talk about poverty. Uh, I think the main thing that's found in this is tribulation, but nevertheless, let's talk about poverty. Uh, <clears throat> there's nothing that seems to hurt, especially a man, more than to lose his source of income. I think God just puts it into a man. He feels he must be the breadwinner of the house. And there's nothing that can, that can blast him any harder than for him to wake up realizing he has the inability to provide. There's just something about it. It, it would just, I mean, it really does do something to a man. Well, after a while, you know, uh, things get very, very slim. And uh, you see people driving around in nice automobiles and living in nicer homes than you. And, and then you come to church and some are sporting off new clothes and such and here you you can hardly pay your bills, and you just if you've ever been under that kind of heat, you know what it's like. It's it's tough. I know many of you have, and some of you are right now. I just want to encourage you. You know, if you're built out of the right minerals, the right substance, the right material, when those things come. They won't drive you further away from God. They drive you toward God. See, if you're, if you're built out of the right stuff, in other words, if you have your attitude, this is true in any kind of trial you have. If you have a good view of life, I'm talking about from God's point of view, and the only way you can continue to see life from God's point of view is when you pray and you're in the presence of the Lord. It changes your perspective. Now this building is this building and it doesn't change. But it looks a whole lot better from County Trunk T out here than it does from that hay field out here when you look at the chopped off side where we're going to add on. 
but it's the same building. It's just the, that, that you are viewing the building from a different location or a different perspective. And when you begin to look at life from different views than what God wants you to look at it, what happens? You don't see the bright side of life. You don't see the glorious side of life. Because I have known the families that got down to where they had nothing, and it was at that time that they really dug in and had a greater family life and a greater communication with God. They worshiped God more. They had greater values. They were more conscientious than they've ever been in their life. And as a result, poverty enhanced their life. Didn't hurt them. It actually enhanced their life. If I'm speaking to anyone that's going through some of these things, please understand if you'll just take and turn this thing around, if it's getting the best of you, it possibly will be the best thing that ever happened to you. The best thing that ever happened to you. Well, we're going to move on. They, they went through the poverty trial and then the tribulation. Now, what's the difference? Tribulation. Tribulation. Brother Rutherford preached the message on tribulation, persecution, and separated the two. And, and I... Uh, uh, definitely understand the, the separation, but then, of course, he made it very plain that there was a connecting point. I think, I think when you, basically when you look at this, uh, when we talk about tribulation in this sense, we talk about persecution along with it, because uh, this was the persecuted church. This church uh, obviously had a lot of outside pressures put upon it. Now, it's, it's bad to be persecuted within your own ranks, and I, sometimes young people do that. I remember, I remember a young man that came into our church several years ago. This young man came in with such a zeal to live for God. He brought his Bible to church. He would pray. I mean, we had pews. He, he'd actually get down at some of the prayer meetings we had, like we have here on Friday and Saturday night. He'd, he'd lay before the Lord. He'd weep and cry. And some of the young people make fun of him and uh, <clears throat> I mean they really made fun of him and I talked to these people they said oh he's just so spiritual it's just sick some of our young people but, you know the whole problem is that of all the people that made fun of him uh, his peers I don't know of any of those people that are doing good spiritually and yet that man is pastoring one of our churches I'm talking about Mike Daly over in Mason City, Iowa. You follow what I'm saying? And you see, when, when, when this type situation comes, even though there's nothing that, that is more humiliating than, than for somebody to make fun of you, Jesus said, Blessed is he who is not offended in me. I made up my mind a long time ago. You know, I uh, I just d did some reading, and they were talking about about uh, being demonstrative and people dancing in the spirit. And they were basically the the author was making fun of this. But I made up my mind a long time ago. Listen, if this is scriptural, it pleases Jesus. It just tickles me to death. 
<clears throat> because you see, I have to live with myself and with the Lord too. And the most meaningful relationship that you'll ever have should be with God. And if it's with God, while the others do matter somewhat, not to the point that it would destroy your relationship with God. So you're going to have some old friends that are going to come by and they're going to make fun of you. And they're going to question you. And sometimes things just kind of stack up where they catch you off guard. And in the most awkward position, maybe in front of someone, something will be brought up. Oh, my. And some of you who have relatives that are not in the church, more specifically parents, you know how cutting this can be. Can, can I say something? I can. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Sister Valerie. I had planned on it anyway, but <clears throat> it was just a matter of speech. <laughs> She's following along. Okay. <clears throat> Did you know sometimes children have the hardest time witnessing to their parents. And I think you'd understand that. And the reason why is because the relationship between parent and child is such that, that the parent's always been the leader. The parent's always had the, the, the answers. The parent's always have directed. And now for a child to come by and lead, it creates an awkwardness in a relationship. And when that happens... Sometimes parents, even though they love you dearly, they can hurt you and they can cut you and they can make you feel so terrible. This is also true between a husband and a wife relationship. Sometimes the lady gives her heart to the Lord first and, and the husband can be so inconsiderate and so hard and so cutting. And there's nobody that knows how to cut you like the person that really knows you. I tell all the couples that come in to my office, communication is never a problem in a marriage. It's the right communication. Because I can tell you there is not one husband or one wife sits under the sound of my voice that would not know exactly what to say. You know. You don't even have to open your mouth. You know how to look to do it. <clears throat> and children know how to do this on their parents. And parents know how to do it on their children. But to a stranger now, it's totally different. Because you don't know. You can give them that certain look, and they just look at you like, what's he saying? You know. <clears throat> All right. Tribulation. Poverty. These are great tests that will come your way. <clears throat> of course, in verse 11, He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the church. He that overcometh. You can overcome these things. You can overcome these things. And then we go to Pergamos. The word Pergamos simply means married. And if you read this, 
If you look in verse 14, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, Balaam had the doctrine of compromise. And the word Pergamos actually means married, because this is the time in which which the church, this church married the ideas of the world. That was the compromise. Balaam was an Old Testament prophet that uh, was called upon to prophesy against Israel and would not. He would not prophesy against Israel. But he went back and he gave the Gentile nation a proper plan or strategy to destroy Israel. He said, I'll tell you what you do. I won't prophesy against them, but if you want to bring them down, all you have to do is send your prettiest men or girls over and, 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 and let those people look at them and let them intermarry there. This is the reason why we tell our young people Please, whatever you do, you are a Christian, and there is hardly any area of agreement with non-Christians. And there is no such thing as being compatibly yoked up with a non-believer. But you see, this church had that basic doctrine. They had that basic doctrine. And so as a result, they failed in this area, this, this extreme test of compromise. And you see, compromise is really not a bad word. Because in certain cases, compromise is an order. Agree quickly with thine adversary. That happens to be a scripture. In other words, there are certain things that you shouldn't always fight to have your way in. But there are certain things that you guard and you protect with your life, with your soul. Because you know that if you don't, you could lose your soul. There are certain things that we discuss in business meetings and we vote on. And I've had some people to come. Uh, it's been years ago, but I had one lady come and said, how come we don't vote on everything? I said, because there's certain things around here we don't vote on. Oh, wasn't that way where I came from? I said, well, you're welcome to go back where you came from. <laughs> there's just certain things you don't vote on. You don't compromise on. And the sacred doctrines of the Scripture, they are forever settled in heaven. The flowers shall fade. The grass shall pass away. The word of the Lord shall endure forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words are forever settled. And if all of us rose up and voted against certain things that are in the Scripture, it would not make one difference with God. Because you won't change God's mind about certain things. Hallelujah. 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 That's right. That's right. Oh, hallelujah. So their their biggest test was this doctrine of compromise. And let me tell you something. It has invaded religious ranks like you would never believe. 
today. It doesn't make any difference what you believe as long as you say, as long as you know how to spell Jesus. If you don't know how to spell, as long as you know how to say it. But you see, it's not every man that saith Lord, Lord that's going to enter therein. And then a message to Thyatira. Now, I'm going to have to cut out some of these situations that I have. Thyatira basically had the doctrine of Jezebel. Uh, uh, that that is is found in verse twenty. Uh, Jezebel was an evil, wicked queen in the Old Testament that was noted for painting her face. She went and painted her face. And this is the reason why when you see someone that that is made up to a particular degree, even in the world, they say, she looks like a Jezebel. Now, there, there are certain things that God seems to never get out of his mind, and he mentions it over and over and over in Scripture. Like Mystery Babylon. God seemed to never get Babylon out of his mind, and he kept mentioning this in Scripture. Another was Jezebel. Jezebel basically was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. Basically, we can put it like this, that Jezebel had two problems. One, she was independent, and that led to her being rebellious or vice versa. She was rebellious, and it led to her being independent. I'll tell you what, I get very concerned when I see Christians become independent. I remember not too long ago, I want to point out something. That not too long ago, someone came. Now, I've forgotten who this was all about. I don't hold grudges. I don't carry feelings. I forget a lot of things about people. So, I may be speaking to somebody that's here. But someone came and told me, said, I told them if they're going out of town, they should tell you, Brother Grant. And they said, well, I don't owe him an answer for anything. Well, the, the whole problem is, is, is not what they said, but it was the basic attitude that they had about it. You follow what I'm saying? You know, uh, every now and then in, in a marriage, I, I've had husbands say, well, I don't owe her anything. I don't have to call and tell her. I'm, I don't have to give an account to my wife as to where I go. Well, it's the basic attitude of it. Why wouldn't you want her to know? I don't feel I have to give an account to Sister Grant, but if I leave here at 4 o'clock and I run four or five different places before I get home, I'll call and tell her every place I'm going. Why? I just like to do that. She could care less most of the time. <clears throat> but it's a matter of communication. It's, it's my attitude toward her. That I don't hold any secrets from her. And when people get independent, and that that and this could lead to rebellion, or as I said, vice versa. I, I I'd have to give some thought as to which might come first. But nevertheless, I do know this: that in the Bible, the Bible says that rebellion is as witchcraft. And for this reason, <clears throat> oh my! If you will notice what the Lord says, 
I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation except they repent of their deeds. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death. What God is saying is that, that what I'm going to do, I will burn her with fire. There are certain things that God tolerates a long time because He is long-suffering. But let me tell you something. Any person who openly rebels against God to take advantage of his long suffering will be cut off and that without remedy. You don't play games with God. You don't. Sardis was a Reformation church. What I read about Sardis when I read this, Sardis just basically took a good strong stand. She had a believing remnant. And you know, the old statement that I quoted many times when I first started preaching, because it was pretty new then, at least I thought it was, A person who won't stand for something will fall for anything. It's still in order today. That's just basically the way it is. Are you willing to stand up for what you believe? Are you willing to stand up for it? There are are several things you need to do. Basically, they're very simple when you first come to God. Number one, you need to serve notice to the Lord that you plan on following Him. Number two... You need to serve notice to the devil that you plan on serving God. Number three, you need to serve notice to your friends that you're going to serve God. And number four, you tell yourself every day that you're going to serve God. In other words, take a stand. Just stand up. Take a stand. You don't have to be ugly or nasty or anything, but just, I'm here to stay. Praise God, I'm here to stay. Will fire come? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There will be times in which trials and such will come, and you'll be rocking and reeling, and you'll wonder what in the world's going on in life. But you just hold fast to the Lord. You hold fast to Jesus. And did you know that some of you have had trials that have, been, have lasted for years, and you will never know in this life why? You'll never know. And sometimes you come and ask me, Brother Grant, why? Well, if God doesn't tell you, you never will know. Because I haven't figured it out, and I never will be able to. I've had some things to happen to me, and I've wondered why. But I found this out. When things happen to me, the worst thing I can possibly do is say why. See, Just keep obeying God. And keep trusting God. Obedience to God should never be predicated upon understanding. Only trust. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Then comes Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. And I'll just use the title of the church because this seems to be very, very indicative of their particular walk with God. The test of brotherly love. Let me tell you something. I am convinced in my search of the Scripture and, of course, my limited knowledge of the Scripture that most people cannot love their brothers and sisters like Jesus expects us to love our enemies. Do you hear me? Most people cannot, or maybe I shouldn't say cannot, because there are no possibilities or impossibilities, rather, in this situation. God would not require something of you that's impossible. Most people are just not willing. But most people will not love their brothers or sister like the Lord expects us to love our enemies. You know, it's, it's a matter of being able to forgive people. Because there are going to be some brothers and sisters that will do you wrong. This is the reason why the Bible tells us how to correct those problems. A test of brotherly love. And then, last but not least, is the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea has an up-to-date problem. First, the message to the Laodicea. The word Laodicea actually means laity rule. had a deacon one time to talk to me about his pastor who was preaching too long. He said, we're going to call him in and tell him he can't do this. And then he asked me what I thought of it. I said, you mean to tell me you'd actually call in your pastor and tell him? They wanted him not to preach over 20 minutes. They said that'd be, I mean, that's long enough for anybody to have to listen to the word of the Lord. Can you believe that anybody even say that? I'm talking about the word of the Lord. What would you do if we called you in? I said, I don't know when your board meeting was or it was to be held, but I know one thing. I'd preach so long, I'd still be preaching when you got back to church next time. There's just certain things you don't tamper with. And you just don't fool with. Now, the thing about it is, Laodicea, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, in other words, they were complacent. Complacency and carnality go hand in hand. What is basic carnality? Carnality is not that evil thing that's sometimes spoken of in the Scripture but in, in the, the truest of sense, when we talk about carnality, it does lead to death because it's just don't care attitude. Come to church, baptize three people tonight. Oh, that's fine. Didn't baptize anybody. Well, that's still all right. Had a good service. Great. Well, not so good. Well, that's all right. It's just don't care attitude. If we do, we do. If we don't, we don't. And then, of course, they were deceived by riches. We're increased with goods and we have need of nothing. Now, I talked about the trial of poverty 
But the trial of riches can be more severe than poverty. I've known a lot of people that sure know how to pray until God blessed them. And when God blessed them, it proved to be the greatest trial of their whole life. God gives a young man a raise. Gives him another job. Gives a couple a new home. Prosperity. Prosperity can be so deceiving. This is the reason why Jesus said, The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches have just simply sprung up and destroyed them. I want you to stand with me at this time. But in all these churches... God gave the promise. He that hath an ear, let him hear. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. There are all kinds of trials. In our present world, drugs, sexual temptations. Fornication is mentioned several times in the sense in which it's mentioned. We usually do not speak or think of physical fornication, but you cannot. You cannot eliminate that because it is a big, big problem in our world today. I've known of a lot of young people that have experienced sexual relationships that have destroyed their relationship with their friend and with their God. The world is full of troubles and trials and such. <clears throat> there have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. In this case, I think I can sub substitute the word tried above that you're able and I put in parentheses to bear but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it praise God <clears throat> are you determined to go all the way with Jesus you want to make it all the way to the pearly gates? Thank you, Lord. We're going to give you an opportunity to come and seek the Lord. If we have any person here, especially our guest, if you'd like to come commit your heart to the Lord. While the sweet spirit of the Lord is moving and our praise singers are singing, if you'll just step right out and come down and stand on either side of the pulpit or in this area down here. We have Christian workers who'd be glad to come counsel with you and work with you. Step out right now, would you? Come on. Yes, Lord. Praise God. That's good. Oh, more of you. 
we need our captains to come. Let's come and pray with this lady. Our altar workers, too. Come on. Come on and pray. Come on down, Jay, if you will. Oh, thank you, God. Come on. The altar's still open. There's still time for you to come. Come on and give your heart to the Lord. Step right out right now. Right where you are. Oh, yes. Come on. Then to all of our people, why don't you come and seek for a deeper relationship with the Lord and a greater understanding of God. Come on right now.